Hey there, and thanks for checking out episode 58 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. This is Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 58 of the podcast, we are visiting with two members of the Braille Mountain Initiative, uh, which is a backcountry ski organization for the blind and visually impaired based in Western Canada. And so we initially featured this organization here on Eyes Free Sports way back on episode 27 of the podcast. So feel free to listen back in the archives uh, to that episode. But uh, here on episode 58, uh, we have two great guests who recounted a recent backcountry ski trip that uh, they took with a few other members and guides. And I think you'll really enjoy uh, just some of the, the funny stories and experiences and everything that went into this uh, trip that they had planned uh, for a long time and COVID certainly took a toll on delaying it, but they finally were able to do it back in January of 2022. So let's hit the slopes and get skiing here on Eyes Free Sports with episode number 58. All right, so joining me on this podcast, I have two guests here. Uh, one is a returning guest and uh, one is a brand new guest here on Eyes Free Sports. So first I'd like to welcome back to the podcast Tyson Reddy of the Braille Mountain Initiative. Tyson, welcome back. Hey, Greg. Thanks again for having me back on the show. Absolutely. Really excited to have you back on and talk about uh, some of the recent adventures of, of your organization. And then we also have Donovan Tilsley, who is a very accomplished Paralympian. Donovan, welcome. Well, thank you, Greg. It's great to be on here. And as I was saying to you off the air, I've had the chance to listen to some of your episodes and I, I really like what you're doing. You're definitely opening up the eyes and minds of a lot of people to what can be done in blind and visually impaired sports. Hey, that means a lot. I, I really appreciate that feedback. No problem. Sure thing. All right, so let's uh, let me just go ahead and get started here with Tyson. Uh, so Tyson, like I mentioned, you were on a previous episode, and if you just want to give, like, in a nutshell, what exactly is the Braille Mountain Initiative that you have there in Canada? Uh, the Braille Mountain Initiative is a not-for-profit organization with the focus of creating opportunities for the blind and visually impaired to participate in backcountry mountain sports. Awesome. Very cool. Definitely very unique. And then as far as Donovan, so Donovan, just uh, talk to us a little bit about, a little about your background as far as your eye condition and just maybe your early years. Well, I'm uh, 37 years old. I was born completely blind with a condition known as Lieber's congenital amaurosis, which as I learned a few years ago after getting some genetic testing done, is kind of on the same spectrum as RP, although you know, obviously comes about at a much younger age. So I've, I've been blind all my life, no usable light perception whatsoever. So it kind of put, puts me in a, in a small category of, of, of blind and visually impaired people, but uh, had parents from a very young age who encouraged me to do all sorts of different sports, including skiing, was put on skis at the age of three, and swimming, where I had the honor of representing Canada at uh, four different Paralympic Games. Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, definitely just if you want to give kind of an overview of your experience at the Paralympics, uh, I understand, was it the flag bearer that you got to be at uh, the 2008 Games? That's right. That was my third Paralympic Games in Beijing. And I was uh, nominated as one of three and then ultimately the main one to carry the flag into the bird 
bird's nest for opening ceremony, which was quite a neat experience. I just remember holding this flag in a lanyard at my left hip, which is pretty darn heavy. <laughs> and I am not usually one to do things just to kind of prove things to others, but I did want it to be showcased that I was a blind athlete walking in. So I chatted with my dad, who is also my coach and, uh, and swim tapper, and um, figured out that if he kind of walked slightly behind me, uh, that way I could be using the cane in my right hand, and then he could be directing me from behind. And uh, people look at the pictures of us walking in, and they say, Donovan, you look calm, cool, and collected. But Hugh, my dad, you look rather tense, because he was basically saying, don't, don't drag the flag on the ground. Oh, you're going to walk into that lady in front of you so he was directing choreographing all this but we made it through into the bird's nest to the sound of music and screaming fans i'm not sure what was louder but that to me was like winning a gold medal at the paralympics because i didn't i i won uh, three bronze and two silver and uh, broke a couple of world records but never ended up with a paralympic gold but for me carrying that flag was about the same oh yeah to be you know that designation for your your country literally i mean i can't imagine being in those shoes that's amazing it was huge and uh, just all the, the the traveling and the places i got to see even though it was mostly the insides of pools and just to watch the evolution of the paralympics from my first games in sydney 2000 i was almost 16 years old to london 2012 and i retired two years after that to see how much momentum the Paralympic movement was able to obtain. The first games, I remember it was barely televised on TV, maybe a month after they show some highlights, highlight reels. But by the end, it was on the same playing field as the Olympics. And I think a lot of people enjoyed watching Paralympic sport even more so than Olympic sport, which really says a lot. And uh, of course, we're recording this uh, a few days before, but they we're on the eve of the start of the winter uh, Paralympics in Beijing. That's right. Yep. It's, it's really something to see how far it's come. And, you know, there's certainly progress to be made as well. But it's, yeah, just in a short time, you know, the the change in coverage and there's there's certainly a growing effort, which is awesome to see. Absolutely. And I think part of it that's maybe led toward that is that we're seeing, especially in the States, so many soldiers who were injured in battle making that pivot into Paralympic sport. Absolutely. No doubt. So, yeah, it would definitely be exciting to watch. And in and, and Vancouver, where I'm from, is actually going to try to make another bid for the 2030 Games. So we had the Winter Games in 2010. I didn't compete because I'm a, I'm a summer athlete, uh, but it'll be great to have them hopefully back in uh, another eight years from now. Definitely. Yeah. So speaking of uh, winter sports, uh, as far as skiing and skiing for the blind and visually impaired, uh, so Tyson, let's go back to you on this one. Uh, so I know that you guys did this trip back in January with uh, the Braille Mountain Initiative. And just talk to me a little bit about, you know, the background of how the trip came together and just the participants and guides and kind of an overview of the whole experience. Well, I mean, in, in short, everything went uh, went really well. Um, we did find ourselves uh, sort of scrambling at the last minute with some roster changes. Stacy uh, was unable to make it due to uh, some some issues around traveling during COVID. Uh, so last minute, uh, we brought a guy named Peter, an older guy, kind of in his late 50s, but uh, really adventurous guy. Um, and, and really quite excited about the opportunity. So that was great that we were able to get him out in the mountains. And 
Um, unfortunately, uh, Mark wasn't able to make it. I've gotten him out uh, skiing and rock climbing a couple of times already, and I, I know he was really quite excited about this trip, but he uh, got COVID um, about three days prior. And then one of our volunteers, um, who was going to volunteer to be one of our sighted guides, she had an accident skiing and broke a couple of ribs a week or two prior. So um, yeah, a few last minute roster changes, but we managed to kind of pull that one off and yeah, get everybody out into the mountains. And when we first got at the lodge, there was about 60 centimeters of fresh snow that had fallen over the last 36 hours, which I mean, can make for some incredible skiing, but also if you're new to the sport, it makes for a very challenging introduction. Um, the uphill travel is tiring and the downhill travel is, is equally as tiring. So, I mean, Donovan will be able to speak a bit more to that, but it was a, it was a challenging introduction for everyone, I think. But as the week progressed, the snow sort of settled out and everyone started to get the hang of traveling uphill on the, on the touring bindings and climbing skins. And, you know, we went from skiing, you know, a couple of really, uh, really short runs at the start of the week to by the end of the week, we skied uh, five runs on our last day that were all a, a, a pretty decent length. And uh, yeah, people were, you know, skiing reasonably long pitches out on their own with very minimal guidance. Um, and that was kind of what we wanted to, what we wanted to accomplish, um, get people kind of having a, a bit of a sort of independent powder skiing experience that I think would be challenging to find at the resort. And then in addition to that, we provided everybody with um, an AST level one and avalanche skills training level one. And uh, this is the first time that um, that sort of recreational level avalanche training has ever been provided to the blinded, visually impaired. And so that was a bit of an experiment. And I was, you know, really appreciative of everybody's patience as we, as we kind of figured that one out and made it up as we went, so to speak. And yeah, by the end, I, I think that everybody was really grasping the concepts and the skills and, you know, hopefully that will allow them to continue to participate in the sport of backcountry skiing if they, if they choose to do so. So, I mean, in, in short, it was, it was, it was a big success in my mind, Rick. Oh yeah, definitely sounds like it. And if you just want to explain where exactly this was and maybe a little more about the, the landscape there. So this trip was to Purcell Mountain Lodge, which is, as you could have guessed, be in the Purcell range. Um, and that's just west of Golden, BC. So it's a fairly short helicopter flight, um, about 15 minutes. Helicopter flies you from town out to the lodge. And that's where we were based out of for the week. So each morning you wake up and you basically hike into the terrain that you want to ski from the lodge. And at the end of the week, helicopter picks us up and uh, takes us back to civilization. The, the lodge is an entirely off-the-grid structure. It's quite an amazing building. It's got its own sewage treatment plant, water treatment plant, uh, microhydro generation system. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, us, a few lodge staff, some of our uh, guides and volunteers, and a uh, few, uh, few blind skiers. Wow. That's such, a, you know, such an exclusive environment and such a unique place to, to be able to do something like that. And then in terms of the folks that you had, so how many total people actually went and did you have, you know, an equal number of guides and skiers and just talk to me about kind of the, maybe the demographics, all ages of, of everybody. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. We ended up with, um, four blind and visually impaired people, including myself. Um, so it's me, Donovan, uh, Peter, who I, I briefly mentioned, 
and uh, Spencer uh, was the other one. Uh, Spencer has albinism. So he's sort of on one end of the spectrum where he's, you know, he's, he's certainly got some usable vision. He's more towards sort of the, the cusp of legal blindness. And then, of course, Donovan and Peter on the other end of the spectrum with no vision whatsoever. Peter, as I mentioned, he's, he's an older gentleman. He's in his late 50s. Uh, he started losing his vision at a very young age from glaucoma, which is fairly unusual. Generally, glaucoma presents later later in life. But uh, anyway, by the time he was about 30, he was essentially completely blind. And then I've got uh, a mitochondrial disease that results in uh, no central vision, but some remaining peripheral vision. So I'm sort of in the middle of the spectrum between these guys. The people that we're looking for for our trips all have to be really quite competent skiers within the resort setting. This is not a program where we teach people how to ski. This is a program where we introduce strong blind skiers into the backcountry. And so that's definitely the case for uh, for Donovan, Peter and Spencer. They're all very, very competent skiers in a in a resort setting. And um uh Spencer's a, a younger guy. He's I believe he's 20, 21. And then uh myself and Donovan there in our thirties, kind of in the in the middle of the group. Gotcha. Very cool. And so Donovan, going back to you now, um, so I know that uh, you know, you've kind of made your living as a swimmer and, and kind of the summer, you know, summer Paralympics, whatnot. So talk to me about how you got into skiing and, and you know, exploring the winter sports. Well, I, as I said earlier on in, I remember getting on skis for the first time at age three and, and doing a lesson up at Whistler Blackcomb, Whistler Mountain, which was is two hours north of us in Vancouver and just continue to progress as I would go up with my younger brother and sister and family to ski during um, spring break and various weekends during the winter. Really came to love the freedom, the energy that skiing provided me with, the chance for you to be completely free on your own and conquering this mountain. And I remember at age 10, finding out about this very steep run on Blackcomb Mountain called the Sudan Couloir. Basically, it's a apparently like a 57 degree angle uh, mm. to get down. And uh, if you, there's a bit of a drop in, and if you fall, there's a chance you probably will not, um, will, will get to the bottom um, and might sustain some serious energy or injuries, I should say, without being able to get up. And, I found out about this at age 10, was so intrigued by it, made it my goal to do it. Five years later, had the chance to ski it on rented skis, no less, with a new uh, ski guide, uh, who was her first day with me. Progressed from there, and basically even during my years as a high-level competitive swimmer, I would go ski on the weekends, because for me, it was it was my therapy, and it very much is the case now. I've you know been working from home, as a lot of people have the past couple of years. The chance to not only get outside, but get out of the city for a day, maybe two days, hang out with some fun people and challenge yourself physically. Uh, that's better than sitting on any therapist's couch, if you ask me. No so I, I'd heard about backcountry. A lot of the guys, I, guides I ski with in Whistler have skied in the backcountry. And we had talked about maybe if there was a way I could do it and they weren't really sure. And then it was Tyson who actually reached out to me in spring 2020. He had seen a video that I was a part of through called The Winter Within, which was through a, a tourist group, Destination BC, talking about the beauty of BC mountains. And they, they featured me. 
And Tyson and I had a lengthy conversation where he outlined his plan and I um, passed along my contacts in the ski world who I knew would be eager and willing to help him, this guy starting out a new not-for-profit. The original plan was to go on the trip in um, April 2021. Uh, it got cancelled a week prior due to uh, changes in COVID restrictions in the province of Br British Columbia. And I think it actually ended up being a good thing because our original place was supposed to be a place called Sorcerer Lodge, which is more so off the grid than Purcell Mountain Lodge. And I'll tell you, I, I challenge myself physically, but I will admit I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to say things like camping. And I was not looking forward to having to use a bucket shower for the entire week while I was going to be up skiing. <laughs> so in, in, the, in the ensuing months, uh, Purcell came on board. They agreed to, um, I think, give us a discount or help us fundraise. And so we ended up at uh, pursuing this sport in an incredible setting where we were treated like royalty, full three, four meals a day by, I think it was a Swiss or Austrian chef, mm. um, you could take a hot shower. Uh, there was Wi-Fi, internet. I'm not. I don't like being disconnected. And partially for my my job as an insurance broker, I do like to kind of see, you know, if clients need anything and just be able to respond. So we had the you know Elon Musk Starlink set up there, so we could add, you know we're not completely cut off from the world. Sure. Great food, great great wine, um, and great skiing. Um, I. I've got to say the trip well exceeded my expectations. And I learned a few things about skiing in the backcountry. I always thought the hiking would, is, would have been the toughest, getting up the hills. But what was even tougher was trying to ski down, at least in the first few days, of 60 centimeters of new powder. Felt like I had regressed as a skier about you know five or 10 years because this stuff was so deep that you just keep falling and you, you know, I had to relearn uh, how to manage some of my turn shapes. And I also know that it was a huge learning experience for Tyson and the rest of the crew because one of the particular days we're up, the uh, helicopter company actually gave us a free heli lift. So normally we would be hiking from the lodge into the backcountry, uh, up the slope uh, to ski. But they said, no, we're going to drop you off in the helicopter today so you can ski a bit more. Mm. And we and we did. It was great. Uh, but I think uh, Tyson and the rest of the crew learned one thing, that if you're a completely blind skier, skiing in the trees is not the most fun activity because you've got to change your turn shapes you got all these things in your way i uh ended up uh, coming down this one traverse catching my ski in a tree well my my good friend uh steve who was up guiding me had to take out his shovel out of his pack and dig the ski out um <laughs> But as our, our, our lead guide, Greg Hill, who's a real pro in, this, in the uh, backcountry ski world, said, uh, you know, this is the toughest it's going to be, and it's only going to make you stronger. And, you know, it pushed our limits, but never too far. It was just the right amount. And, man, I got home from that trip and was on a high for two or three weeks after that. The cool thing with Tyson, I got to say, is he himself has never been to a Paralympics. I had, and uh, and Peter has, and uh, Spencer, that's his dream and goal as, as a skier. But Tyson has an Olympic mindset. This guy basically loses his sight within this, in the space of a year. And rather than sitting back and feeling sorry and not knowing how to proceed, his first goal is to provide an opportunity for other people who are blind or visually impaired. I don't know how many people 
would do that. So that, that, that puts them in a fairly rare percentile of, of blind people, I would say. What's even cooler about this event is that we were able to get not only sponsorship, but a, a video crew. So Bruno Long and uh, Anthony Bonello came along with us with uh, drones and cameras and GoPros. And the idea is this uh, whole adventure is gonna be documented in a feature film to air at the Banff Film Festival sometime later this fall, mm. as well as a, a um, article for Ski Magazine. So it's not only for us, but this is going to really open the door for blind people of all ages around Canada, the U.S., the world, who love to ski but never knew this opportunity could be made available for them. So it's history-making, and it's going to be a real gift to other people going down the line. Absolutely. That's amazing, really. That's that's so awesome, and I look forward to, you know, following all that that coverage as time goes on, you know, with the, the film and everything else in terms of this trip and future trips that uh, this organization is, is going to, you know, present. We, we got I got to tell one quick funny story. I know that was one of the things. In this. Sure. So Tyson decided that um, um, we would do a blind dinner one of the nights. So basically everybody who had any kind of sight had to wear a blindfold while we ate. <laughs> and after dinner, we all exchanged kind of things that we had learned and people realized how much louder the conversation was because we weren't no, they didn't know who they were talking to or where people were. And the, the funniest thing was uh, Tyson asked me, so, so Donovan, you as the totally blind guy, can you go around the table and tell us what we all, what you think we all look like? And I get to Spencer, the um, 21 year old uh, kid who's on the trip. And I say, I think he has, um, Oh, dark curly hair. And he said, dude, no, what do you expect? I'm an albino. <laughs> Just the things that you sometimes don't pick up on when you have zero vision whatsoever. So, yep. you know, by the end of the trip, we had we had some excellent rapport with the people um, on the on the trip. Uh, the lodge staff, uh, as I said, were went above and beyond. Uh, I couldn't have thought of a better way to be introduced to a new sport. Wow, that's awesome. And Tyson, I understand that you do have a trip planned for April coming up here as well, correct? Yeah, you bet. So um, Donovan uh, mentioned uh, Sorcerer Lodge, which was uh, where we were planning on going in the first place in April of, of 2021. Um, so I, I am taking a group of blind skiers to that lodge this year uh, in April. So April 10th to 17th, uh, a bit of a larger group. There'll be six blind and visually impaired skiers, including myself. And uh, yeah, a bit of a, you know, as Donovan mentioned, there's some some big differences between the destinations. Um, Purcell definitely provides some more amenities um, Sorcerer is a little bit more rugged, but also Sorcerer Lodge is located near some, um, some what, what I think is going to be really spectacular, blind skiing, um, a few large glaciers, so wide open alpine terrain, you know, there's no, no trees on glaciers, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a trade-off, but I think it's going to be a really exciting trip, and yeah, it'll be interesting to, to compare the two at the end and see what, what ended up providing the best experience for everyone. Absolutely, no doubt. Um, in terms of funding, do you guys offer any kind of, you know, financial support or other plans, you know, for that down the road uh, for, for skiers? Yeah, we, we heavily subsidize the cost of these trips. So uh, currently for these two trips, the cost that we presented to our participants uh, was $1,000 for the week. The true cost per individual is much, 
much higher than that. Sure. Um, and so we we make deals with the lodge. We have a few different sponsors. We run various uh, fundraisers. Work with equipment manufacturers to receive donations and things like that. And so yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes to to make it possible to present this trip at a cost of one thousand dollars per person for the week. Oh yeah, in that type of setting, like Donovan was describing, I mean that's that's quite a quite a discount and pretty amazing. And then also in terms of equipment, uh, if, does, does someone need to bring all their equipment? Do you guys provide a lot of that? Talk to me about that. Um, we provide sort of the the essential equipment. So a probe, shovel, and transceiver um, make up the essential companion rescue uh, equipment. So we provide that. We also provide uh, skis with touring bindings and climbing skins. So basically our participants are, are required to bring their own boots. And um, it's super important that boots for this type of activity fit fit perfectly. So they need to go out ahead of time and make sure they've, whether they're renting or buying, make sure they have boots that fit comfortably. Um, and then, you know, the appropriate outerwear and a pack are basically what they're providing for themselves. Sure. I see. Uh, Donovan, going back to you. Uh, so I know we we talked about your swimming career and, and Paralympic career and everything uh, in terms of skiing. What would you say your goals are, you know, when it comes to skiing and being on the slopes? I guess my biggest goal is to go out, have fun, uh, become a better skier in terms of knowing how to make less sharp turns and keeping it more wide open. And I think I, I enhance some of those skills in the backcountry. basically just to continue it on as a, I don't want to say a, a lifestyle, but something that I can do in my thirties, forties, fifties and beyond, because it's really such an empowering, freeing feeling to be out on that hill. And I guess another goal of mine would be to, uh, ski some other mountains. I did live in Colorado for seven months back in 2011. So skied uh, uh, Copper and Vail and uh, A-Basin out there. But I kind of want to do go go to the States and go to uh, ski different mountains and also continue to um, pursue this newfound interest in, in backcountry skiing. Maybe figure out a way uh, to go on a heli skiing trip in the next couple of years and continue to inspire empower other uh, blind people that this is a sport that if you have trust in your guides and are fairly athletic or want to become so this is a lifelong passion sure that's awesome very well stated and then uh, so i did want uh, to get just both your input in terms of the guides uh you know the, the relationship with your guide when it comes to skiing and Maybe just, you know, if you want to relay a story or just briefly talk about, you know, what's what, you know, what makes it important to have a really good communication and communicative relationship with your guide. And Tyson, we can start with you. Yeah, it's it's really important. Um, I mean, not being able to, you know, for myself, as I mentioned, I have a little bit of uh, remaining vision, but not enough to fully grasp the the sort of magnitude of the hazards around me. Um, so yeah, you're putting a lot of trust, um, in your guide that they're not only, you know, finding you good skiing, but they're also making the required observations and assessments in terms of the avalanche hazard and, and the various different hazards that the backcountry presents. So yeah, there's, a, there's incredible amount of trust. It's, uh, it's, it's super important. Um, you know, that being said, I've been out in the backcountry with a, with a number of different people with a, with a variety of experience and you start small, you pick small objectives. And as you build that trust, you can kind of 
work your way up to skiing some pretty big terrain, challenging objectives, things like that. Sure. Gotcha. Donovan, how about your thoughts on that? The way I see blind uh, VI ski guiding, it's 90% intuition, 10% skill. Obviously, you've got to be a good skier, but I found with guides, either they, either they got it or, or they don't. So having that level of trust, not only the, the level of trust in your own abilities as a guide, but in your blind skier that they will follow you and also not being afraid to challenge that person. Some of the most frustrating days I've had are with guides that are a lot more cautious for, for various reasons. And they might be great, wonderful people, but they don't know how to push my limits the way I want to be pushed. It's all very individual. I think people have different ways of working with guides. I know ever since I was, I was a young child, I feel a lot more comfortable with a uh, walkie-talkie system. So I've got a, a micro or motorcycle type thing in my helmet, like an ear thing that is strapped in there and a boom mic. And my guide has one who skis behind me. You probably didn't need as much in the backcountry where there's not as many hazards around people, but it did help. It allowed uh, my friend Steve, who came with me to ski a little further away from me and let me do my own turns. As I said, you know, I, I've definitely had um, uh, over the past couple of years because of COVID, uh, the adaptive program in Whistler wasn't taking reservations from outside that health area. So even though I was coming up from Vancouver because it was outside the, what they call them the sea to sky corridor, uh, they wanted to stick to the provincial restrictions and not do that. So I had to find other people to learn how to guide and it, usually we'd you know i had a couple guides who were willing to do it for uh for free or in exchange, exchange for lunch or beers <laughs> afterwards and then we ended up um training up another buddy of mine sean who had never taken the guiding program never hmm. skied blind before but has grown up in whistler he's in his mid-50s now and knew the mountain and just had a certain intuition about him so anytime we ski together he has been even better than some of the guides who have taken the uh, adaptive ski guiding course. So just goes to show how important intuition, experience, and trust can be. Absolutely. Very interesting insight. I think it's like any relationship, you know, it's it's very subjective and you kind of have to test out different individuals and whatnot. And the thing to, to add with, with the backcountry, it went far above and beyond just left right turns that guide especially for somebody who has no vision uh they're also your eyes in other ways like getting around the lodge and in our case um helping me put on uh the skins uh which allowed us to uh, hike up the mountain so these things that would stick to the back of our skis helping get the ski boot into this tiny little screw hole in the ski uh it involved a lot more hands-on activity. And so for somebody who's willing to do that, they, you know, have to realize that there is a higher level of responsibility and be okay with it. And me as a blind guy, it was kind of humbling, like, shoot, I can't even put my own skis on, but hey, it's difficult for anybody with sight to figure out how to snap this front of this ski into this tiny backcountry binding so a lot and a lot more moving pieces a lot more um uh, uh like you've got your shovel your probe your backpack all these different compartments you got to keep track of all this gear which was a little unnerving the first few days but uh 
thankfully, Steve, my friend and guide, is a super patient young guy and didn't get frustrated when it took me longer time to find certain things. Sure, sure. There's so many factors. And like you said, it's, it's not just about being on the slopes necessarily. Great points. All right. So to wrap up here, I wanted to give each sheet the chance to give out any kind of contact info, social media, uh, Tyson, if people want to find out more about the Braille Mountain Initiative, uh, how can they get in touch with you guys? Oh, thanks for that. Um, yeah. If they want to get in touch with Braille Mountain Initiative, they can visit um, our Facebook page, Braille Mountain Initiative, and send a message through there. You can also email us at Initiative at outlook.com or visit our website, BrailleMountainInitiative.com. Awesome. And Donovan, any social media, anything you want to mention? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook, just my, my name, Donovan Tilsley. Uh, I am also on Instagram, been using that a lot more recently as the blind guy underscore. <laughs> and uh, Twitter is uh, Donovan's, at Donovan Speaks, and uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn as well. And I'm not sure if you can... Um, in your show notes, uh, Greg, post the link to the Winter Within piece that I was referring to earlier from Destination BC. But that would be another way that people can kind of get a sense for what I normally do in the mountains. Definitely. I will do that. And I'll include links to the social media handles and, and the contact info that you guys gave out as well. So everyone can easily access that. Great. Well, thanks again for having us on the show, Greg. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for letting us uh, share our stories and uh, I think uh, hopefully many, many more years to come for Braille Mountain Initiative. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate the time and uh, the conversation. Thanks again. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.